What is up, Marlins fans? I'm Jeremy Taché, and before we get to the content of this episode, as the Marlins are about to head out on their road trip this evening, I wanted to talk to you about our sponsor, who has been with us for over a month now. It's Symbol. Remember, Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol's blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest and to profit off your favorite teams without all the high fees and high losses of gambling. You can use your sports knowledge and specifically your knowledge of the Marlins to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. You can join me and the 2,000 plus early adopters who've started to invest in their favorite teams. I'll tell you guys this, I invested in the Marlins and they have gone up and down this season as their record has, but they're higher now than when I initially invested. So in order to be able to do this, all you have to do is visit www.symbol.app or visit the link in our description, symbol.app slash swings. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L dot A-P-P slash swings to create a free account when you deposit. And make sure to use the promo code SWINGS for a $10 deposit bonus to buy yourself a share of the Sim Marlins or any other Sim team. Again, symbol.app and use the promo code SWINGS for a $10 deposit bonus to help build your portfolio. Symbol.app. Start investing in your favorite teams so that when they win, you win. Now let's get to the show. Hello, Marlins fans, and welcome to a very special new episode of Swings and Mishes. I am your co-host and producer, Jeremy Taché, joined as always by Craig Mish. And Craig, I'm going to go to you right away here at the beginning. We have some news for the Swings and Mishes listeners. Do you want to break it for them? Yeah, and and again, it's it's such an amazing time for everyone involved, I think, in digital and in podcasts. And I think that we're no different here at, at Swings and Mishes. And so... Uh, we've been asked, and after you know some time of of discussion and going back and forth a little bit, uh, we are going to be joining the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We really appreciate uh, their uh, aggressiveness and interest in wanting us to come aboard as a baseball podcast, where of course we predominantly cover the Miami Marlins. So big news for us as we join Blue Wire. Uh, one of the dominant leaders in uh, podcast hosting. And and really, I think this is going to be a great thing for us. And it also will introduce you to a lot of other podcasts that they have. But most importantly, absolutely nothing changes. The way that you found us today is the way that you'll find us next week. Uh, it's just that we are joining them, obviously, to monetize this a little bit more than we have been. And certainly that's a, a big part of, of everybody in life is you want to make money. And so uh, Blue Wire, uh, thank you for allowing us to join the network. And uh, with that being said, let's get things going. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to be joining Blue Ryer, Craig. I just want to say, first of all, on your end, hey, congratulations. You started this podcast and look at us. We're joining this network. This is pretty cool. I've been watching them expand since they first started. I remember some of the first podcasts that they brought in. And now there's been a number of different ones that have joined. Um, Sue Bird and Megan Rapinoe's podcast is on this network, which is pretty cool. Now we're podcast mates with them. Uh, and Lauer After Hours, which I've been on a number of times. That's a spinoff of the Levitard show. So there's a whole bunch of different types of podcasts within the network. And again, like you said, Craig, the most important thing is for all of our listeners, you're going to get us the exact same way. But if there was ever a time 
to unfollow, refollow, like, subscribe, do all the things, you know, write us a review. Now is the time more than ever to show us your support. Um, and we're so thankful for the support you've shown us thus far. Um, and we're really excited about this venture with Blue Wire. But let's go ahead and get into some baseball talk with the Marlins. Uh, since the last time we talked, Craig, the Marlins have actually gone nine and eight over the last two weeks plus um, in that stretch. They had a long road trip. Then they came home for a stretch. And now they head out to Boston tonight for the start of a nine game road trip. They've been just about a 500 team all year long. It's the same story up and down, no matter how it goes right around 500. And now they've continued to deal with the number of injuries and there are some new ones on deck. So, Greg, a lot to cover. Do you want to just get right into it with the injuries? Sure, and, and it and it's kind of stinks to to start with this, but it has been the story. I mean, there's been two really big stories of baseball this year. Unfortunately, the the first to me is the pitching, and just now with the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals kind of exposing what's going on. Um, you know, this is something that I actually heard about a couple of months ago. Bad job by me for not doing. I, I actually on Sports Grid have been talking about it a ton, but I really haven't been talking about it here. It was brought to my attention about the uh, substances and the doctoring mm -hmm. of the ball. So I, I think that this is a story for the next few months. So we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on that and maybe how it pertains to the Marlins. I simply don't know at this point. And then the other has been the injuries in Major League Baseball. It's been a it's been a season like we've never seen. Every year we say that there is more injuries, but this year in particular, I think. It is off the charts. And, and by the way, it is not just the Marlins. There are a lot of teams that are worse off than the Marlins, mm -hmm. the Mets being one of those who Miami just faced. They just faced the Phillies with two, with their best two players, arguably out or two of their best three players with Harper and, and JT Romuto. Atlanta Braves don't have Marcelo Zuna. They haven't had uh, Michael Soroka at the beginning of the season. Max Fried has been out. I can keep going. Like this is, this yeah, is every team. Teams. Yeah. It's a, it's every team. And so, if you choose to look at the Marlins and say that they're the worst, they're worse off. I mean, you're not accurate, but you know, you can say that it's just, it's just <laughs> not true. Every, everybody is, is going through the same thing. So uh, where are we at with this now uh, a little bit later? And, and by the way, those of you who follow my work at the Herald, I believe we're going to have more on this this weekend and, and kind of give you updates. So there's one thing that I do want to give, which is a qualifier before I get into the injury discussion here, because understandably so, there are, are a lot of moving parts, Jeremy, when it comes to injuries. And so some mm -hmm. of the things that I'm going to say I feel are accurate, but I think I would probably take them more as my opinion as opposed to fact. Facts come out of the organization. And I think that if you really want those facts and you feel like that's the way that you follow injuries, then you certainly can just follow along with all of the things that the Marlins are telling us. But I think there are layers to these stories. And so I would I would just use the caveat in this conversation of saying, understand that these are just some of the things that I am hearing as opposed to being factual. Uh, OK, sure. so now to move on, we'll start with Miguel Rojas, who was injured in the uh, Thursday afternoon game against the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, one of the probably most unfortunate injuries of the season, just because it was completely avoidable. There was no reason for Miguel Rojas to be as far off first base as he was. I don't know where he was going. Um, and he was picked off, and it's mm. the second time that that's happened to him this season at first base, unfortunately. Third pickoff, I think, this month uh, of first base. Very rare for a Don Mattingly team. I'm just not sure why it's been happening. Um, but that being said, Miguel Rojas, the team leader, arguably the most important player on the team, going to be out. And when he slid back into first base, it was very apparent immediately, Jeremy, that he was injured. 
Now, mm-hmm. what exactly happened to his finger? I'm not completely sure. Don Mattingly had mentioned that it was dislocated and it had to be popped back in. That was one of the things that he had mentioned. Uh, there is some thought that if that is the case and there is nothing else, then Rojas, who is going on the injured list on Friday, would be missing about a week or two. He has to miss a minimum of 10 days. So it'd probably be like a two-week injury if that's all it is and there's nothing else. But it is my understanding that there is concern that there is uh, more to this. And Mm. I don't know if that is a fracture of the finger or if it is a tear of some sort. I don't know the answer to that. I know that on Friday, he is going to see a specialist to determine what the next course of action is. Some of these things are associated with swelling. So some of those things have to go down before they can get a full diagnosis. But if the injury is worse than a dislocation and ends up being a fracture or some sort of surgery, then you go from two weeks to two months. And I can't give you one way or the other on this right now. A lot of people like my percentages. This is probably like a 50-50 shot on this. I don't know. But I would say that there is concern that there, there may be more to this injury than just the dislocated finger. Uh, I, I don't know that we'll get any clarity on it on Friday. It could come through the weekend. These things do take some time, but I would be prepared at least to not have Miguel Rojas in the lineup for a minimum of 10 days. And it could be a lot longer if, if he has to have some sort of surgery of, of any kind. Now, the other one, which is even trickier than Miguel Rojas at this point, is Brian Anderson's injury who uh, he had a shoulder issue sliding in the third base. And of course, I don't, do you remember what they, what they deemed it a scapula? What was it called? I think it was a, a, a shoulder sub- sublaxation, sublation. Sub- I don't know how to pronounce sub- it. Yeah. <laughs> sublaxation. That, yeah, that's what it is. Something I, the words that's I what never, we'll say. <laughs> words we always say in public when we're out with our friends, you know, Hey, how's your <laughs> subluxation feeling? You know? Yeah, sure. Sure. So, okay. So, so on this one, on this one, when, when, he, when he had the injury, that, that was the immediate diagnosis with the Marlins. We met with their general manager, Kim Eng, who said uh, she said that he's going to be out for several weeks. And I think at the moment that she said that, that was accurate. And that still may very well be accurate. But with any injury of this magnitude to a player of the caliber of Brian Anderson, you wouldn't be doing your due diligence if you did not get a second opinion on, on the shoulder. And so that's the next step at this point. Mm with Anderson having to wait for the swelling to go down completely as we stand here closing out our weekend or starting our weekend here on Friday. I don't believe that that second opinion has happened yet. I guess it will happen in the next few days. And so the situation is as follows. If it is a simple dislocation, very similar to the Miguel Rojas thing where it's cut and dry, goes to a doctor and they tell him that that's the deal. Then I I think Kim's diagnosis or Kim's opinion, however you want to call it, uh, whatever the medical staff has, has has determined on the Marlins and Kim conveyed to us is a several week injury. You're looking at a month, very similar to how people have compared this to Fernando Tatis Jr. Who missed not, a, I don't know if he missed a month completely, but he missed a you know, two week, three week right. extended period of time, whatever that is. Uh, that is the optimistic view. The other view on this is that what if there is a tear in the shoulder? What if the labrum is involved? We don't know mm-hmm. the answer to that. And I think that, the second opinion is going to give us more of an idea as to uh, what needs to happen. If indeed there is a tear and the labrum is involved and he would need to have surgery, then that injury unfortunately would have him out for the remainder of the season with some, I guess, semblance of a chance that he could return in September. Maybe if the Marlins are still in it, they could push that. 
but but we we uh, a surgery would be looking at the majority of of the rest of the regular season um, just kind of mapping out the timeline of what I've seen for others so the optimistic view on him is very similar to Rojas just with a simple dislocation and nothing else the the non-optimistic view is the second part I know that people are going to ask me after listening to this, well, what is your opinion? What do you think is going to happen? Do you think both guys are going to have surgery? Do you think one guy is going to have surgery? I can't say the answer to that, but I do believe just from knowing what I know at this point, there's a chance that Anderson's injury is more serious than Rojas just because, again, it's a shoulder, it's swinging. Uh, Luckily, it's the left, it's not the right, so it's not throwing. But any kind of shoulder surgery to a Major League Baseball player is a month with an S on the end of it. And you're not talking about a month or two. You're talking about three or four months. So you do the timeline there at September. So mm. that's that's the Goodness. story. Again, again, with asterisks on all of this, because this is just some of the stuff that I heard. Again, you can take you could take the facts from from what the Marlins convey, or you could, you know, as as I'm sure most of you listen to me, take the opinions of things that I've heard one way or the other, however you do it. That's what I've heard. I'm just going to suggest to everybody listening to this to take a deep breath now because I've been holding mine the entire time you've just been talking. It's just poor Rojas and, and Anderson here who both you know are, are such anchors to this lineup and both have been such constants. And I think that's something that obviously hurts the Marlins here, particularly with Rojas, right, is no matter what's been going on around him out there this season, he's been the constant, he's the vocal leader, and he's been playing very well on the field. So to lose your shortstop like that, regardless of what you think can be the production of Jazz Chisholm, if he replaces him at short or, you know, whoever's playing second base, that's obviously something that's going to hurt the ball club long term, even if it's just for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and you know, the, it was interesting the other day when, when Anderson went out, I had made the comment that I thought, wouldn't it just be more simple to move Miguel Rojas over to third and have Jazz Chisholm play short and then put Isan Diaz at second base. And after I made that comment, I, I inquired a little bit more about it and, and then had a little bit of a soul-searching conversation with myself. If that sounds weird, <laughs> it's probably accurate. And, and I came to this conclusion. You know, Miguel Rojas is, is the team leader. He is a gold glove caliber shortstop who is playing at an extremely high level, making virtually every single play this season. And there has to come a point where you're viewing him, maybe not as a superstar, but as a a very good to great player. And, And would you on another team ask that player to play third base? Hmm. No disrespect for Isan Diaz. Like, would you ask Miguel, hey, Miguel, could you go play third so we could play Isan Diaz at second? Huh. And honestly, if I'm Miguel Rojas, um, I probably do it, but I probably say, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, like, I, I'm I'm the team leader. Like, I'm the show. I'm 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 a good player. I, why are you asking me to move? And I, and right. I am not saying that that's Miguel Rojas's tact at all. And I'm not. I don't want to intimate that either, either, because I have not spoken to him about it. But I I don't think it's fair. And when I asked yeah. Kimang about moving Miguel Rojas to third, she's like, no, no, that's not going to happen. Hmm. We'll put Isan at third. Um, so I, I think there's a little of that going on. I think that they view Miguel Rojas as the shortstop. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't, I mean, look, he's, look, let's, let's, apples and oranges when A-Rod signed with the Yankees. And I was just about to bring it up. Yeah, I was just orange. about to bring it up. Okay. I was, apples and you oranges. read my mind. <laughs> but but there but there you have it, you know? There you yeah. have it. And who's the CEO of the team right now, right? Right. 
Derek Jeter. So the shortstop is the shortstop, huh? Now, now, in my now again, that's what I think a little bit maybe is happening sure. or has happened. But I would say this, knowing Miguel Rojas a little bit, if the Marlins called the Royals and said, "Hey, Miggy, we can get Whit Merrifield to play second base," mm. you know, like is this something you like? At that point, I think it is a fair conversation to right. ask him that question. I mean, like I'm talking about a high caliber All Star type second baseman. If that was a possibility uh, for me personally, that would be something that as the general manager, I would feel comfortable maybe at that point going to uh, Miggy and saying, Hey, would you consider it? It is all a moot point at this point. Maybe right. it is a conversation for the future, Jeremy, but yeah. for the comment that I made the other day, I do want to retract that in thinking it through a little bit, because I don't think it would be appropriate with everything that Rojas has done for the team, for the franchise, for the organization to say, Hey, for this guy who's batting a buck 50, can you please go move to third base? No, not fair. You know what? That, that's a great point. And when you first brought it up during that press conference and I first heard, you know, the concept of, oh, could Rojas play third? I thought to myself, that guy is so unselfish that he's the type that would volunteer. And probably behind the scenes, he's saying, I'll do whatever is necessary. But you know what? You're right. As he is the leader of the team, essentially the star of the team, the most vocal leader in the public and in private, yeah, he deserves to be the shortstop as the shortstop. He's earned that to this point in his career. But looking at guys that are, we're going to take a look here, at guys that are maybe future stars within this organization. We'll start first with Jesus Sanchez, who has continued to tear the cover off the ball at the AAA level for the Marlins. He has been unstoppable this first month of minor league season. Craig, what's going on with Jesus? Well, my mentions is going on with Jesus. Yeah. This, is not, this is nonstop. Like, I mean, let, let's talk about some other things, guys, on, on, on Twitter. Um, I, I side with the organization on this one. They, they want to take their time with him. Everybody wants him to come up. Uh, I, I think it's only natural in prospect life to want your guys to come up and we clamor yeah. for them. And, and I understand it. I, look, I'm one of those two. But we, we, there's just a harsh reality to this topic. Since the Marlins acquired Jesus Sanchez, he has had injury after injury mm -hmm. with this team, spring training, spring uh, minor league season. He has not had any sustained months of plate appearances because of these little nagging injuries, whether it was this year, last year, or the year before. Mm -hmm. So I think they want to see like, like two yeah. months, <laughs> like give me, give me like a hundred plate appearances of Jesus Sanchez to make sure he, I remember. And, and by the way, this year he missed a couple games too. They had to pull him out of right. Game. Uh, he missed two games. I, I think that is the deal. I, I don't, I don't think that, look, they've proven they're going to call guys up. They have not played the service game at all. Remember when they called up Pablo and Sandy a couple of years ago, all when they, the COVID year, they called all these dudes up late yep. when Diaz was up. Jesus Sanchez was up. Monte Harrison was up. They were all up. I, I don't think that that is it. I think that they just want to see him play, be healthy. And then when we get to July, I think that there's more of an impotence, I think, to uh, to call him up. Now, the, the issue is he's got nowhere to play. And so mm -hmm. what do you do? You call him up and then what is he, an extra player? You, you're not, you're not going to do that, right? Uh, so, so the idea is, is that he would come up basically in one of two scenarios right now. And, and, and basically they're the same. They would either have to trade Corey Dickerson or Corey Dickerson – would have to be injured in some way. And we're not rooting for that. Corey's a great no. guy. It's not what I'm intimating, but that would have to happen. I don't think there's any other scenario that is painted 
that that calls up Sanchez until one of those two things happens. And it could be, by the way, to another outfielder. Something happens to another outfielder. Maybe that opens up the door. Sure. But they would love to move Corey Dickerson. And, you know, it, it's just one of those tough conversations to have because when they signed him to a two-year contract, it, it looked like a good deal on paper. If you remember, they were uh, at first Cole Calhoun was one of the names that was out there. Then it became Yasiel Puig. Then it became Corey mm-hmm. Dickerson. Honestly, of those three names, I mean, that would, it, well, who worked out? It's still like, Corey, I, right. It's still I mean, Corey I guess Dickerson. Corey is the best of the three, <laughs> but, but we have to keep it real. I mean, one home run as we close out May, that is Crazy. not who they thought they were going to acquire pinch hitting for Corey Dickerson in the eighth inning with Garrett Cooper and his banged up oblique to right. go in and hit in the eighth inning of a close game tells you the confidence level they have. I mean, they just don't play him at all against left-handed hitting. So Corey has been an all-star. He was phenomenal with Tampa Bay. He was a gold glove award winner in Mm -hmm. left field. And and I thought maybe it was just a matter of routine last year or just, you know, he had had an unfortunate death in the family. Mm -hmm. He's arguably one of the nicest guys you would meet. He's unbelievable in the clubhouse, but two strikes and choking up. I mean, you're just not going to hit home runs. So yeah. You know, uh, you know, it, it's it's tough to say, and it's and it's just kind of where we're at. And by the way, we still have a lot of season to go. But Jeremy, what team right now in Major League Baseball would call the Marlins and say, "Hey, uh, yeah, we'll 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 pay Corey Dickerson seven million dollars or six million dollars from now till the end of the year, based on what we've seen thus far." Uh, July thirty first. I don't know. Maybe they have no choice. I, I think whether they're in it or out of it, Jesus Sanchez, if you told me on July 31st has been doing this for the whole minor league season is not called up. I'll be the first one to yell and scream. I will, I will do, I don't care who's on the team if that's the case, but right now that is the scenario that kind of has to play itself out. Uh, you know, that, that was not a lot of money in, in baseball in general, but when you give a player a two year, $18 million contract, you have to expect better results than what you've seen from that player. And until mm-hmm. that happens or until he's moved or there's some sort of injury, uh, Sanchez, give him his time in the minors, let him have a good two months, three months, hundred plate appearances, whatever, 150. You'll see Jesus Sanchez this summer. I'm very confident in that. You know, it's funny. Two things here with, with, on this topic. Number one, this scenario sort of reminds me of back in, I think it was 2019 when Starlin Castro was not exactly hitting the same. for not exactly for any power at second base. Was hitting yep. for no power, and luckily for him and for I guess the Marlins, but he had that power resurgence. Now, you know we we know how that all worked out. But Isan ultimately came up later, and it was the same deal. Everybody was clamoring and clamoring and clamoring, and Isan had a terrific trip in the minors, and now obviously came up and didn't produce the way that we hope Jesus Sanchez will when he comes up, but it's very similar in terms of there's a positional blockage. It's someone that's signed to a big money contract in regard to this payroll, and at this point, they're just not producing the way that you need to even be able to move them. It's almost that's like exactly dead money. Right. That's and exactly. so the, the Castro comparison is spot on. Mm. I, I have people texting me you know, like, oh, I wonder what, I wonder what they're going to, if they did decide to move Corey Dickerson, right? Oh boy, this could be a really good, like, really? Like, have you, did you not see what happened with Starlin Castro two years ago? Even with Castro, by the way, at the deadline getting red hot. Yeah, he was playing great. I I mean, I remember talking to Mike Hill about this, like they literally couldn't move him. They Mm -hmm. could not trade him. And 
for the younger players on the team. They just, you know, chose, Hey, he was a really good influence on those kids. Well, I'll just keep him here right. and, uh, and then let him go about his, his business at the end of the season. They just were not going to cut him. Right. They had to pay him. So are we at that drastic level with Dickerson right now? No. I mean, he is no. hitting 270 or whatever it is. And yeah. Um, and it's better for what it's worth. Like he is hitting the ball better than Castro was at that point. Castro was one of the worst hitters in all was, of major league baseball was. and was. wasn't hitting for power. So it's a little different. And, and Corey's still giving you the occasional professional at bat up there, but it's still, it's not even close to what you anticipate with the contract in particular. Yeah, and the other and the other thing too, this was brought to my attention also, is that with with Corey's numbers, what they are, uh, not playing against lefties does two things. Number one, mm-hmm. he doesn't have the counting numbers that he would have maybe if he was playing every single right. day. Maybe instead of one home run, maybe he'd have four. There's also an adverse of that. What would his numbers look like if he was <laughs> right. playing against left-handed pitch? I mean, would they look worse? than what they look right now and he's had these little hot streaks where he gets a few hits here and there and then the ops is is jumping up a little bit and you see him uh you know hit the ball to left hit the ball to right there's just way too many balls on the ground Mm -hmm. to first base everyone watch if you watch the games you see it i i for one think there is certainly a chance just like castro that that Corey can get hot and and get you know to the point where maybe miami can move him but we've seen miami be very aggressive at the deadline even trading players that are part of the of the process and and he to me is the one to circle to say i just don't think uh, he'll be back next year regardless and even if right. they're competitive you have someone in the minors maybe that is better so if they're fortunate enough to get him going a little bit he would be a prime candidate to be dealt right now uh, that's just not a possibility yeah and, and a last note to marlins fans in terms of just the patience on prospects again this is similar to what we were talking about with the reaction to the first number of games at the beginning of the season. This is not a 60 game season in a pandemic where all these guys were being called up because everybody's out due to COVID. This is like a normal baseball season where normally you're not seeing your top prospects till later on. Just look a little further up North in Tampa where you've got people clamoring for Wander Franco and the Rays are being patient with him. So, you know, a different prospect, though, for the Miami Marlins that everybody's had their eyes on now for a couple of years. It's Sixto Sanchez. Greg, do you have any updates on Sixto? A, li- a little bit on him. You know, I, I thought I-, I thought I had more. And hmm. then I realized that the line that I've been given is the line that everyone else is using. So they must have this company line now on Sixto Sanchez, which is he's going to be the best trade deadline asset you could ever get. I thought that I was the only one that they told that to, but it looks, <laughs> like, but it looks like it's everyone. Everyone's being told the same thing. They must be in a room sure. somewhere and say, okay, here's what we're going to say publicly about Sixto Sanchez. Well, by, by the way, that is true. If he does come back at that point, he definitely could be that guy. They, they, uh, the Marlins have been excellent at reporting injuries and telling us what's going on. And I, I feel like the same thing is happening to a degree with Sixto Sanchez, but I do feel like they've been more protective with information on him than anyone in the organization in a while. And then there's a good reason for that. Look, JT Romuto to me, even though he's missed a, a few, you know, a few days um, to me, he's still a superstar and yep. uh, very biased on him, of course, too. But um I think also in terms of if they could go back and do it all over again, I think they would have loved to sign him, um, you know, try to find a way to sign him again. Mm-hmm. Again, a story for another day. But uh, be- because of that, they've been super protective. I saw some things last year with his weight. They told me, no, he's fine. He's on a different program. Okay, fine. You know, it's like, and I just feel like there's, I feel like we're just not getting everything with him. We're just getting, we're getting all the truth, but I just don't think that we're getting 
every bit of it because sure. they don't have to. And with injuries, you, you you don't have to tell us what's going on. It's just like, we'll tell them what they need to hear. And, and that's that. But they, they thought the injury may have been more serious than they kind of led on. And I think that has what's led to me feeling this way because when he was hurt in March, and I know Don Mattingly, he's just very optimistic about everything. Like, right. It just doesn't matter what it is. He's going to tell you the best case scenarios. And that's what makes him great. You know, he's a great guy, yep. big fan, but he's always going to have the optimistic view on things. And when we heard about the injury back in March, what did we think? Oh, it's just a little setback. He's going to be right. all right. And I, and I think that, 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 that was a mistake for the Marlins to convey that because uh, here we are, it's June still hasn't pitched in a minor league game. I mean, it's been a long yeah. time. I mean, Mattingly in, in the presser, when I asked him if he was surprised that he's been out as long as he had, he said, yes. Right. He's back in two weeks. So, right. so look, it, it's fine if that's the way that they want to play it, but you know, I'm a truth seeker and, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, he, they, they were really worried about his injury that he had and, and it turned out it's okay. And it looks like he's on the way back, but they're just being super cautious with it. I wish that I would have known that back in March. Cause then I would have said, all right, it'll be back sometime in July, which is sort of the timeline here. Now it looks like we're pushing that right. because it's taken Ellie Iser since I, I think they've given him, I think they're giving him three full rehab starts. And so hypothetically speaking, if Sixto makes a rehab start, the first week in June, which are coming up on, you're still looking at the end of June, early July, provided no setback. So I'll stick with that timeline late June on Sixto, and I'll just go with what they're saying, which is <laughs> going to be the best trade deadline acquisition that any team could get at the sure. deadline. Congratulations for that. But that's that's sort of the update there. And um, yeah, and, and we'll just keep it at that. How do you think the Mets feel about Noah Syndergaard as a trade deadline acquisition? Similarly, probably yeah. not as probably not, not as good. Not great. Not yeah, great. but yeah, I mean that, that's true too. You have to hope that, that nothing happens in between now and then, uh, right? As well, but uh, Hernandez is going to be back soon, uh, first week in June. So that's a huge boost to the rotation. Gigantic. Even if he's a five inning pitcher, who cares? Like they just need anybody to eat some innings here. And uh, Edward Cabrera is going to get started here in uh, in, the, in the minors, so maybe at some point he pitches this year too. Am I forgetting anybody, or, or that was that was it? No, I think that's pretty much it in terms okay. of the prospects that would that would be here now. But it actually works out well to transition over to the other topic here, which is a little bit of positivity before we wrap up. It's the Marlins starting pitching staff, which and for that matter, their relievers, which have been terrific. This this Marlins team ERA is is top 10 in the league. It's number seven in the league. They're giving up just over three runs a game. Uh, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez continue to be great. They each had one blip since the last time we've spoken, but they continue to pitch well. Trevor Rogers, there's not enough great things to say. And Cody Poteet in his first yeah. three starts mm -hmm. has been terrific for the Marlins and for me it's almost like watching seeing this guy come up as this strike thrower it's like evolutions there was the Jordan Yamamoto which is okay we think he's going to throw strikes but he doesn't actually throw strikes then there was Nick Neidert pounding the zone but getting hit around a little bit now there's Cody Poteet who after three starts is of the same mold but his stuff is strong and he looks really good for the Marlins as that fourth starter yeah and again regardless of what happens in Boston this weekend I think that they have found a a back-end rotation player uh, I, I was I was told Scott Aldred, who is their minor league pitching coordinator, has done a great job with him as he has with Holloway and some others. They they the Marlins have to get a lot of credit for development in the pitching mm -hmm. category here, and and they made great moves in terms of the bullpen. Um, 
you know, I look, they're using them a lot. So who knows how that will play out in, in July, because these guys are getting crazy usage. I think you're seeing Floro dip a little bit just because mm-hmm. of his usage. Um, Mattingly said no, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just not sure. But th- their bullpen is fantastic. Their starting pitching is great. They have more guys coming as well. Uh, you know, Max Myers looked great. Jake Eater in the minor leagues has looked oh, like terrific. the steal of the draft in the third round. Like that whole draft this past year, 2020, looks great. I think 2019, some of those guys look great. Uh, yeah, some of those guys look great too. So they they have a ton of pitching. I mean, they may have to do another gallon type deal. I mean, really. Yeah, I mean, they, they may won. have to go down this road to, to get a hitter because that's what they need. But yeah, mm-hmm. big time arms in the organization. Rogers looks like a the rookie of the year. Maybe the Cy Young if they let him go a little bit it's more crazy. than his innings restriction. Maybe. And and look, Sandy bounced back. Pablo still go. Yeah, I mean, what what? There's nothing negative to say. Right. Very good starting pitching and and bullpen for sure. Which yeah. is why they're going to be in every game this year. You're not exactly. going to enjoy a lot of the games, unfortunately, because there's going to be no score in the seventh. But but they're going to be in there like mm-hmm. every game. It makes it makes the end of the games very exciting to me. And so. It, it looks some of the games are tough to watch. I've been there. Uh, you know, you 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 have a lot of strikeouts. Marlins strike out a lot. They don't score a lot. a lot. You could be get you could be sitting at games with no action. I've taken my son a couple times. He's like in the fifth inning, like oh, <laughs> like, oh like when are we leaving? You know, I'm like I know. I'm sorry. I feel your pain. Yeah. So hopefully the offense picks it up a little bit. But you're right, Jeremy. Pitching has been a major asset on this club. Yeah, it's been it's been a joy to watch these guys compete. Um, And then the last thing that I just wanted to note here, Garrett Cooper, who has broken out of his uh, initial slump of the first month or so and has really started to hit the ball well. There was a stretch there where I think it was his OPS numbers. He was like top five in baseball for a couple of weeks. He's been really great. Um, And it's just good to see Cooper sort of rounding back into that form. What are your thoughts on on Coop here, Craig? He's had some really big hits. He's had some really big hits, putting them back into games and winning games for them. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I you know, they, they kind of, in, when I was younger, Jeremy, in the, in the eighties and the nineties, there was something called like the game winning RBI. There used to be a stat every, yeah. every game that who got the game winning RBI and used to see who that was. And it wasn't relevant because a lot of times that would happen in the fifth inning and it didn't matter. Right. And that was actually, they kept stats of who had the most game winning RBIs every game. But this is kind of what Cooper reminds me. It's like, when he comes up, it's like, okay, big spot. Like what's going to happen. Always, it's, a run. Yeah. it's a home run gets a hit. So look, clutch is gone. They don't use that word anymore. They don't use game-winning RBI. But to me, he's sort of like a throwback in that sense yeah. where if it's a big spot in the game and it's close and they need a hit, like that's the guy you want. Now, I don't know. He may not. I mean, he really hasn't done almost anything in the first inning of any game. Right. <laughs> but like, but as they've gotten deeper into the games, it like and second time through, third time through, he's been a monster. He's got a hitting streak going. He's been their best hitter in May. He's been one of baseball's best hitters for the last three months. And fortunately for him now, he's going to get to DH for the most part as they play Boston and then they play the Blue Jays in Buffalo. So, yeah, it it looked like he was lost (laughs) and a lot Mm -hmm. of people wanted him out. Somebody called him the Michelin man, I think, to me. And somebody said, stay puffed. I mean, you guys are horrible calling the names that I see. Marlon's Twitter is something else. Dave Puff Marshmallow Man? Like, come on, oh, man. Like, a little strong on that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, good for him. Good for him because, he, you know, he really didn't look like he was going to get a ton of playing time at the start of the season. Right. But now I don't I don't see how you can sit him at all. Like, like you just got to ride it until the wheels fall off. 
Absolutely. Well, and the reason I, I it does feel sustainable is he's such a good breaking ball hitter. And as the further you get into the season, the more and more breaking balls you're going to see because these pitchers get tired. And that's just statistically what happens. You see more breaking balls as the year goes along. He's such a good breaking ball hitter that you think this is something he can ride out long term. So hopefully Coop gets to remain in the lineup nearly every day and gets to produce at that level. Craig, I know we've covered a lot here. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I, I think that's pretty much it. I, I, I do want to say that I, I feel uh, the Marlins are going to play. The, it reminds me because they're going to play the Pirates. When is that series, Jeremy? Is that next weekend? Yeah, that's next. That's like the latter half of next week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to say this before we end, because I just don't think that you can do a baseball podcast or talk baseball, oh. with not just with not just addressing the play that happened. <laughs> the hobby the- bias play and the pirate. Yeah. Like I feel I'm so conflicted because I feel so bad. I feel so bad for this player that he's going to carry this with him, no matter how good he is probably for the rest of his life. Like I my my son just got done playing in the little league playoffs mm-hmm. and it felt like that. Like, uh-huh. I just couldn't believe what I was watching on just like so many different levels. And I just feel so bad for him. Yep. And, and the Marlins are going to see the pirates coming up here. And it just jogged my memory to just oh. make sure that I mentioned it here on the podcast because as as bad as it was, there is a part of me knowing how these guys are human that like the ball going off Canseco's head. And oh yeah, through somebody's legs and like like this is real. Like maybe the magnitude because the moment wasn't a playoff game or right. anything like that. But you, you like if you go back and watch, you just don't know what the player was. What's thinking he thinking at all? Yep. Like it was just was so crazy so uh, we have not heard him talk as of yet he did not yeah. talk after the game the manager who's a great guy Derek Shelton basically shield it looks like he's mm. shielding him from he said it was his, Shelton I think said it was his fault I was like, what? <laughs> okay um, I think he knew, I think he realized the magnitude of the moment too like oh my gosh like this is this is like, gonna this be is what happens one. right I am personally going to root for this kid to succeed oh yeah because I don't I don't want to see that and I don't want to see him have to carry that so uh, count me in on being in that fan club of Will Craig on the Pirates. A hundred percent rooting for him forever going forward. Maybe not against the Marlins next weekend, but, but after that, I'll be rooting for him all the time. Uh, it should. Yeah. It, it, fascinating play. Anywho. Uh, thank you all for listening to this. Hey, first blue wire podcast episode of swings and misses again, unfollow refollow write a review, give us five stars, do everything you got to do to support this podcast. And as always, check out Swings and Mishes in Espanol with Danny Alvarez and Oscar Prieto Rojas and all of the writing from David Fernandez on our website, swingsandmishes.com. Enjoy this series against the Red Sox and beyond. Have a great weekend, Marlins fans.